Hello and welcome to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. This week we're discussing the UK government's R&D roadmap and its implications for research in Scotland. With me to discuss that is Dr Stuart Fancy, Director of Research and Innovation at the Scottish Funding Council. Stuart, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Gavin. It's good to be here. So the UK government has recently published its R&D roadmap with a recommendation to use some of the new funds as part of the overall levelling up agenda. How does R&D intensity in Scotland compare with the other nations and regions within the UK? As Richard Jones and his colleagues uh, pointed out recently in their Nesta report, R&D intensity across the UK is quite varied. It's quite varied both in its overall magnitude and in its structuring. For Scotland, what that means is that we have an R&D intensity that is relatively high when you consider just the public sector component of that. So that's primarily government spending on R&D. And in fact, it's higher even than uh, per person than in the east of England or in the southeast of England and is approaching the leader in that field, which is London. However, uh, again, rather in common with London and other, some other parts of the UK, Scotland has a relatively low private sector R&D investment. <clears throat> so we have uh, that particular structure uh, and, and, and one that um, probably is closest in comparison to London than to any other part of the UK. And why is the R&D expenditure from the private sector low in Scotland? Is it clear what the reason for that is? So it's uh, an issue that many have, have wrestled with and, and there are many opinions of, but one way of looking at it is that Scotland does not have uh, housed within it a large number of headquarters of, of companies and R&D spending is often either clustered uh, near or uh, reported through the head offices of companies and therefore there is there is that there are other there are other theories as well about the potential um, reporting of R&D spending not always being entirely comprehensive in an economy that has such a large amount of financial services as Scotland does and uh, indeed as London does. So we've taken Scotland as a whole but are there significant variations in R&D intensity across different parts of Scotland? Yes the way to look at that is that uh, there's also a variety of, of um, different kinds of industrial activity across Scotland. So there certainly uh, these are these industrial activities have degrees, different degrees of R&D intensity. If you look at the southeast of Scotland and the Edinburgh region, for example, there is a, a, a very active digital cluster which is receiving a, a, a lot of investment and in creating a considerable amount of, of heat and, and energy and jobs, which is which is great. And we're seeing other parts of the country build up their R&D intensity. But certainly if you drew a heat map, you would see uh, certainly the cities being uh, more and more intensive R&D than the countryside as at the moment. So one of the reasons for doing this is to increase the economic performance in different parts of the UK. Does increasing R&D funding automatically do that? Or would the new money need to be treated in some kind of different way with different directions on, on how it might be used? So I think we have choices here and, and those directing the money have uh, choices to make. If we see an increase in the recognition of the value of place, for example, across the Research Council portfolio, to, to, to take us in one example, then we could absolutely see a movement of Research Council investment outside London and the southeast, which is a, a choice 
that we would need to make. What, what we need to explore potentially as a result of the directions given us by the R&D roadmap, what we need to explore is how much, if you like, imperative and direction one would need to apply in order to achieve that. So in Scotland, we would be very keen not only for that R&D spending to be distributed more uh, evenly across the UK to, to see a, a, a levelling up, uh, as, as uh, the phrase has it, but also to support the, the, the world-leading research base we have here. And, and for the reasons that I pointed out earlier, something that encourages private sector R&D spend. And again, we need to make some choices about that. I'd say that the uh, Strength in Places Fund now in its in its second round gives us some clue about how one might do all of those things or many of those things encourage high quality research connect it to demand to stimulate private sector investment and direct it to where it can be most useful across the whole UK. Do we have the right kind of funding structures within that or are we still set up mainly to fund research excellence rather than research that's targeted at specific problems with particular industries, for example? So I think we do have uh, a broad range of instruments currently, and I would be extremely keen to stress the importance of that um, fundamental excellent research as the foundations upon which so much of the rest of our economic prosperity uh, is and, and can be uh, built. So give, taking that as a given, we have instruments in that space already. I mentioned Strength in Places Fund, but also the various activities of the Industrial Strategy Challenge Fund and others. But I think the R&D roadmap gives us a chance to reflect on the effectiveness of those instruments in levelling up, in investing in places where we have value coming back to the taxpayer and the governments of the UK. But it, it will be very interesting to see whether some of the explorations that the R&D roadmap uh, suggests around, for example, ARPA will be helpful in, in continuing that balance between fundamental research and the value that uh, quite reasonably we expect that fundamental research will contribute to. Well, let's explore that a little bit more. Just going beyond the, the, the levelling up part of the R&D uh, roadmap, what are the other key parts of this UK government roadmap that have particular importance for research in Scotland? It's an important document. We went through it ourselves and our colleagues in Bayes and counted up the number of questions in it and it has, I forget exactly how many, but it's over 150 questions and uh, not an awful lot of answers, which is a good, good place for a roadmap to be, I'm sure. One of the, the, the top line things that's important in Scotland, as it is across the UK, is the restatement of the UK government's uh, enthusiasm for raising the R&D spend to £22 billion a year by 2024-5. That's hugely important to all of us as a basis upon which uh, we can plan our, our partnership with UK government in, in, uh, in implementation. I think for, for us in Scotland, there are many things that are, are really important in the roadmap. It's a big document, starting off with the recognition of the importance of research, fundamental research, that is long-term research, existing alongside and contributing to more translational uh, R&D, hugely welcome. I think we also welcome the uh, focus on the pipeline of research talent, both supporting people to come into the research careers from wherever in the world, but also then a, a, an interest in the development of the culture and quality of those research careers. We absolutely welcome that as being, a, as being a really good thing. We've touched on place. For the Scottish Government, the interaction between the place agenda and, the, and its own thinking on regional and national economic development is very exciting. We, we think there are 
really interesting things going on in Scotland that will be at a UK and global scale very important. So if the roadmap can help with recognising investment potential in local areas, then we think we can bring a huge amount towards the net zero agenda, towards exploiting our natural capital, the future of medicine, digital industries, quantum technologies, you name it, we have a wide variety of, of, of things to contribute to that. Entrepreneurship and the international outlook, I see those as being quite coupled. In order to, to build the, the green recovery that we all need, then we're going to need to create companies for that new econ economy, create companies and jobs and university spin-outs and university company formation is hugely, hugely important. So that, that I, I, I liked a lot when I read that part. And it goes well with the international outlook, the, the building of the UK's place in the international world. We need to attract inward investment and that matches, of course, the ambitions of Scottish government too. And finally, the roadmap finishes with a discussion of the system of research. Well, we'll come on to this, I'm sure, but um, in the COVID-influenced environment that we're under and the challenges that brings, then we need to think about the system of research uh, to, to help us have, for the medium and long term, a sustainable, responsive and excellent research base, which has its proper relationship with the public purse. There is a lot in that document. We could talk for many a podcast just on that. <laughs> I'm sure we could. One key uncertainty at the moment, of course, is whether the UK will be uh, able to be an associate member of the EU's Horizon Europe R&D programme after the transition periods. Uh, ends at the end of December, and that's obviously part of the current UK-EU negotiations. How important is it for Scottish research to be able to participate in Horizon Europe? It is hugely important. Scotland's research is, is very highly interconnected with the uh, European mainland, and uh, uh, a relatively recent report by the Scottish Science Advisory Committee highlighted that even on a UK scale, we have a, a greater density of, of of joint publications with European universities compared with others and the funding sources uh, that the European mainland uh, has represented in previous programmes are significant to us, about £90 million a year in research funding the last time we looked, which is about uh, 10 or 11% of, of, of Scotland's research income. So it's significant in financial terms, but also hugely significant in relationship terms. The, the programme and association would help us maintain some of those research relationships, which are the, if you like, intangible benefits of the, of the broader research community across, across Europe. So we, we await, of course, the outcome of the current negotiations with great interest. What is important to us is that in, par in parallel with the, the considerations of whether we do as the UK become an associate member, we also need to be considering the domestic alternatives, which may either be needed to fill gaps in that association to help us continue the great work that goes on in the UK, or indeed may need to replace large chunks of it. So what are the best options for those alternatives? Do, do you have a feel for how that would play out in Scotland? So I think large, largely the domestic alternatives um, would be viewed in Scotland in a very similar way to how they would be viewed elsewhere across the UK, in that the uh, Horizon programme and its, and its predecessors uh, give a great amount of support to both research collaboration but also to particular mobility of people. So the attraction of, of extremely leading researchers to Scotland and the wider UK through things like the ERC, mobility programmes like the, um, the Marie Curie programme and so forth, hugely important. 
where we have uh, two particular concerns that I would I would like to highlight is, is one is that non-monetary benefit. I think the Russell Group pointed this out uh, earlier in the Brexit process that one of the benefits or uh, greatest benefits least talked about of the, the Horizon programmes and the predecessors is that non-financial benefit of being part of large clusters and the intellectual value of being part of something larger than ourselves. And so whatever we do in by way of domestic alternatives, whether on a European or global scale, we would be looking to it to have that similar sense of ease, community and integration that would give uh, some of that non-financial benefit too. And lastly, and perhaps specifically to ourselves in one way, although in a, in a slightly different way to our colleagues in Wales also, the European structural funds have been very important in supporting R&D in Scotland and are, are not, if you like, so easily part of some of the discovery fund propositions that came out of the Smith Review. And the loss of ERDF would impact uh, in Scotland quite considerably. So we await with some interest also uh, the, the further revelations around how the shared prosperity fund might work, since we know a good deal less about that than we do about some of the other alternative thinking. Yes, there's clearly a lot to be decided in this area. And that's one area which is going to be lost regardless of whether we associate with Horizon Europe or not. So that's a whole separate stream of things that needs to be considered. Indeed. You mentioned COVID a little bit earlier, and it's almost impossible to have any discussion without mentioning COVID. Obviously, there's a potential loss to Scottish universities if international students reduce in number. And we know that international student fees cross-subsidise research. And it's also true that Scottish universities receive less money for teaching their Scottish students than English universities receiving tuition fees. Does that combination of factors lead to potential financial risks for Scottish universities and their ability, therefore, to carry out research? We have come quite a long way through this conversation without speaking about COVID as explicitly as it deserves. And I'm glad we've, 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 we've got here. COVID is the single biggest challenge facing us at the moment, of course, and the situation is evolving. The exact changes to international student numbers are not yet certain and not likely to be for a little while yet. Uh, So we don't know entirely where we are, but we can absolutely assume that we can expect a drop in international student fees and perhaps that drop will recover only slowly, if if at all. It's worth saying, Graham, that the the, um, challenges emerge not just from uh, international student fee losses, but also from losses to activities such as uh, residence uh, income, conference income, and other income that COVID has damaged this year already, uh, this calendar year, uh, and may indeed continue to do so. So for some universities, that's a very significant impact on their ability to cross-subsidise research as well. Similarly, losses from charities and and businesses are absolutely not trivial and uh, will be of note across the UK as well as in, in Scotland. But university research in Scotland is certainly facing a financial challenge. And, and yes, what they're doing is they're working through this challenge, the, the universities, particularly the uh, particularly research intensive ones. Scottish government has provided a large amount of, of, uh, of funding, £75 million in June of this year to help steady that research ship. And we've welcomed, of course, the announcements by UKRI to help with uh, research studentships and, and costed extensions to UKRI, UKRI grants. Uh, we're still looking forward to the announcement of the UK government uh, package to support research. Where we are in, in Scotland is we have to work with between the government ourselves and, and the sector to, to find that sustainable future for, for research. And um, the roadmap helps us with some of some of the territory that we'll be exploring around full economic costing at a UK government level and so forth. 
But from our side of the dual support system, we absolutely have responsibility to consider what we can do with the resources that we have um, in partnership with the universities. It's worth bearing in mind that um, resources from Scottish Government through the Scottish Funding Council are uh, the minority of the funding deployed in research in Scotland, uh, but we certainly want to use the resources that we do have as well as we possibly can. And that will be um, to, to, a, to a great extent in, as part of a UK-wide system. As soon as you say a, a UK-wide system, that then hinges round, of course, how the Scottish Government and the UK Government work together and how their funding bodies work together. So how are all of those different groups working together to coordinate the challenges you've talked about and more generally to deliver the R&D roadmap? So research is largely a devolved matter, uh, which means that we are already uh, very much in the habit of and in the structures of working together as four uh, funding bodies, Research England and the funding bodies of the uh, devolved nations together, of course, with the UK-wide responsibilities of UKRI and with the UK government's interests in Bayes. So we have structures and uh, relationships which are strong and effective. And around the roadmap, we have contributed both through governments, but also through the funding bodies to the, to the creation of that roadmap and, and welcomed the uh, partnership approach taken by, by Bayes in, in, in so doing. It's important for us that when we implement the roadmap, and I'm sure it will be important for, for everybody across the UK, that that notion of place uh, it helps us to reflect the variety of the UK's uh, funding models, the variety of the UK's uh, political and economic environments, and to exploit the opportunities that that variety brings whilst also um, working together on the things that we share, because we share so much. We have primarily a shared public health and economic emergency. We have a shared imperative to decarbonise our society, and we have a shared culture of the value of excellence in research underpinning all of our efforts to work on those things. So yes, we fully uh, expect to be working together across the UK as both governments and funding bodies to support the implementation of the roadmap. And you'll have seen from the publications already around place and innovation that the structures being built are, are in fact ones that, that, uh, that we're all contributing to and, and we welcome that. So there's obviously a huge amount going on, things that we're trying to achieve and challenges like COVID that are definitely taking up a huge amount of time. What would you say were the key priorities for the Scottish Funding Council over the next 18 months or so? I understand you're carrying out a, a, a fairly broad ranging review and it'd be interesting to hear a little bit about that. So our, our primary consideration, of course, is the health and well-being of our own staff. That goes without saying the COVID emergency has had an effect on us and our operations too. So that's our primary consideration. And COVID more generally, our universities, we're talking about research here, but COVID has had a significant effect on universities broadly. Uh, don't need to, to, to spell that out. And our role as a, a funding council responsible for universities and colleges in Scotland means that the impact of COVID on the operations of universities and colleges is at the very front of our minds. We are, of course, facing the end of the Brexit transition period relatively soon. We've talked a bit about that already. Uh, and that is uh, very much part of our thinking. How do we, where do we work in order to help and support uh, governments and universities and colleges in that space. But yes, uh, we announced a couple of months ago the commissioning by our ministers of review of coherent provision, sustainability and the carrying out of research in Scotland, which is a broad re review of the tertiary system, further in higher education in colleges and universities. From the point of view of research and, and R&D, our topic for today, that will cover over the course of the, uh, between now and, and the Scottish election in May, 
matters relating to the funding of research in Scotland by us, support for research in, in Scotland by us, post REF 2021. It will consider matters of uh, the benefits of collaboration and the influence of various pieces of evidence and input to our thinking from uh, the Heathwaite Review of Research Pools, Anton Muscatelli's examination of, of R&D support in Scotland, and the recent report by Mark Logan on technology. And in all of our consideration of research and innovation, we'll be absolutely focused on how can we, uh, in the medium and long term, be helping universities and colleges make a bigger difference to our green recovery, to the net zero goals of Scottish government, uh, and, and how can we do that in a way that is supportive of inclusion and so forth. So I'd say that one of the interesting things about the timing of the review is that it maps very well onto the implementation phase of the R&D roadmap. So what we have is the Scottish Funding Council in Scotland looking hard at the ways in which we use our, our, uh, our public money and our influence and our relationships to support Scottish government's objectives uh, for the universities and colleges. But of course, those, as we've already discussed, overlap very strongly with the objectives of the governments across the UK for R&D and the R&D roadmap and the Scottish Government's uh, Scottish Funding Council's review uh, will interact rather well, I think, or at least they will if we do our jobs properly, in order to maximise the benefit both to the UK-wide uh, systems of R&D, but also to what's going on in Scotland and, and indeed to use that uh, concept of, of place-specific value and the goal of uh, the shared goal of left up our economy as we recover, uh, it hopefully recover better, and um, that that will be um, hugely effective. So rather pleased to be doing these two things, two things at once, shall we say. And finally, when should we be looking out for the outputs of that review? The review is intended to uh, complete its work in time for the incoming Scottish Government uh, after the election in May to be able to see the major implications of that, because clearly it's of, of importance uh, and relevance to Scottish Government ministers, uh, particularly where it is proposing uh, major uh, implications. There will be um, uh, outputs along, along the way because there are some decisions that need to be taken, particularly regarding the, emer the emergency that we're currently in and the short-term responses for this year, next year, the year after, which are relevant both to the um, uh, health and, and well-being of the university sector, but also to the ways in which we support students uh, and contribute to the uh, short-term economic uh, emergency which we're all facing. So you will see, you will see plenty from us uh, along the way. Fantastic. Well, we'll certainly keep our eyes open for that. Um, we've run out of time, but uh, Dr. Stuart Fancy, thank you very much. Well, thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to the podcast from the Foundation for Science and Technology. My guest this week was Dr Stuart Fancy, Director of Research and Innovation at the Scottish Funding Council. Details of all our podcasts and all our events, including a recording of an event on the R&D Roadmap and Leveling Up, held on the 7th of October, can be found on our website at www.foundation.org.uk. Next week, we'll be discussing skills resilience, and my guest will be Stephen Phipson, Chief Executive of Make UK.